Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to the Best Damn Camp, a Royal Verse read-along and analysis podcast that sits out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome to the show. Today we continue our timeline journey with The Last Olympian, Chapter 3, I Get a Sneak Peek at My Death, and Chapter 4, We Burn a Metal Shroud. As always, I've got my points to focus on, so today we've got consequences set up relationships and generally what I thought of it. As always I want to preface every episode now with I love the Percy Jackson series but just because I love them like so much so that I have tattoos about them doesn't mean that I can't be critical. But anyway to begin (laughs) officially here's the synopsis for these chapters. The aftermath of the Andromeda comes home to roost, followed by a bleak prophecy reveal. With relationship drama, bruised pride and lots of crying and chocolate, it's basically my Valentine's Day really, Percy is getting angrier and more frustrated. Yeah, no, I hear you, Percy. And that is the over... That was not the best synopsis for these two chapters, oh my goodness. Well, I did my best. There was, there was a lot that happened in these two chapters, but... Uh, Let's just get into it. Let's start first with chapter three. I get a sneak peek at my death. And this is the overview for chapter three. Percy arrives at camp with bad news, but now it is time to learn his destiny. The boy plays the biggest game of back and forth. Clarice is tired of being used and leaves. The prophecy is read aloud And oh my god, it's not good. (laughs) With danger at every corner, the spy is their biggest threat right now. Oh wait, no, Typhoon is. Unless there's a bigger problem that may follow Typhoon, but we're not going to talk about that yet. Oh my god, it's too much stress. It's time for a nap, I think. And that is the overview for chapter 3. There is so much that happened in this chapter, and... uh, First, I just want to preface. Again, oh, I've got so many prefaces. I want to mention briefly. So, this is something I brought up actually on the Best Damn Camp's Twitter page, uh, which is at Best Damn Camp Pod. If you want to go follow there, um, I've come to realise that most of the Percy Jackson books fail the Bechdel test, which is basically that two named female characters have a conversation or have some dialogue with one another that doesn't focus on men and um yeah that doesn't that doesn't work out more often than not um I know obviously it's from a man's perspective which is something that a lot of people broke brought up but like it's 
it still doesn't it like very barely passes the Bechdel test on many many an occasion um which is kind of disappointing but uh, I just noticed it again in this chapter because there's a moment where Clarice is comforting Selena and even though there isn't a mention of it there's no like actual conversation that happens between them um there is a moment where they speak with well, they don't really speak Selena doesn't really speak that much she just cries a lot and that kind of from the demigod file story that we read that features Selena it seems that all she does is cry and it kind of irritates me a little bit but anyway I'll just move on from that because I just wanted to get that out it's something that I've noticed that it doesn't really pass the Bechdel test and honestly the Bechdel test is like bare minimum um it does on occasion but it's very rare that two female characters will have shared dialogue that doesn't have a discussion of a man within that conversation um I can't really think too much of any. Someone mentioned that Selena and Clarice have moments of talking that doesn't feature a man. Um, and so that's why I was on the lookout for that. But in that, at this point, her and, like, only Clarice has spoken so far. Like, Selena hasn't really responded much. But anyway, sorry, I'll move on now. Um, so first thing I want to get into is setup. So Percy mentions, actually, and this is, well, this is both setup, but also sort of, like, antagonists a little bit and sort of, like the good and quote-unquote bad side and yes I'm putting quote-unquote because I don't think the demigods that join the other side are actually bad guys but that's what everyone's classing them as because everything is black and white um but Percy mentions that the numbers are have gone down of demigods and some of those numbers have gone to the quote-unquote enemy but they don't talk about the people who have left Cap Half-Blood to join the other side and this, I bring this up a lot. This is a continuous problem that I do have with the books, is that we do need to understand why the demigods are leaving, why they, why they feel it's better for them to be on the other side, why they feel it's going to be a better decision for them to be on the other side. Like, we kind of know, but it's barely discussed that it's, it's not a regular conversation topic like there's a good reason why they are going they feel neglected and angry at the gods because they are being neglected by the gods there is a mention i think in this chapter or maybe the next chapter of the fact that Hermes cabin still continues to be overrun because there are a bunch of kids that are unclaimed and like you're mentioning this the fact and even mentioning actually that the gods are forgetful i'm like this is why people are joining the other side because the gods don't care but then you don't talk about it which means you don't try to understand which means you don't try to fix the problem or try to find a way to fix the problem by not acknowledging it nothing is going to change and especially to do with what happens at the end of the book obviously i'm not going to bring it up because we're doing chapter by chapter but by having this continuous question mark over the head of those who've left and kind of just point, just basically labelling them as the enemy. What happens at the end doesn't feel as earned because we aren't talking about it. Um, and obviously when we get to that point I'm going to talk about that a lot more because that's something I do have an issue with. There's something that I have an issue with with the ending in general with regards to two different things but obviously I'll talk about it when we get there. Um, but there is a setup in that regards to this here but also to do with Cronus's plan 
Um, I do kind of want to mention this briefly. Where do I put this? Oh, yeah, no, I put this in store. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, first, I do want to actually talk about is relationships because it's an interesting element with relationships in this section because the two big relationships I feel are popping up here is the friendship between Clarice and Selena. Um, and I really, I really like it. Like Clarice is a very protective person. But it surprises me that Percy is surprised about their friendship. Like, Ares and Aphrodite are romantically linked. Why is it surprising that an Aphrodite and Ares kid are friends with each other? Like, their parents are with each other a lot of the time. Most of the stories are to do with Ares and Aphrodite. So it makes sense that, that their kids would have a little bit of a bond. Also, Aphrodite and Ares camp, uh, cabins are the most disrespected and disliked cabins at Camp Half-Blood. The ones who are rejected most are more likely to band together. I'm just saying. Um, the only thing that I would say, their interaction together, I love it. But the one thing that does kind of become more obvious to me is the fact that we don't know much about Selena and Charlie for this moment of like Selena's breakdown, of Clarice comforting her. It doesn't feel as earned because we don't know anything about these characters. We know more about them from the demigod files. I mean, in terms of like the main stories, Selena's barely had any mention in the main books. I think we, she's been mentioned briefly in maybe Titan's Curse when she was having that argument with the hunters. Um, Maybe in Sea of Monsters as well, to do with her checking over that she was like doing cabin inspections. But like that's it. And then Beckendorf we have a little bit more, but even then it's like bare minimum. So like this whole emotional thing that's going on with Selena to do with Charlie does just feel a bit eh. But then Clarice coming in and like comforting her does kind of it helps in terms of us feeling a bit more about what's happening to Selena, because we know Clarice a little bit more. Um, and the fact that this tough, buff girl has come to comfort and is speaking quietly and tenderly, and all these sort of elements, is evidence enough for me that there's a respectful bond between the two of them, and that kind of makes me care a little bit more about this. Um, Although I don't appreciate that Selena is crying in every scene that we then see her in from then on, but anyway. Um, but compare that to Percy and Annabeth's bond, bond relationship at this moment. He talks about how when he sees Annabeth when he's come up to shore, he gets like this fluttery feeling in his stomach and like all over and stuff. And all I can think is like, nah bro. You aren't allowed to have these fluttery moments with Annabeth when literally only... And it's literally only a couple of hours previous to this that he and Rachel shared a kiss. He was out on the beach with Rachel. He was comparing Rachel and Annabeth together. Um, he, he sort of slightly badmouthed Annabeth in a, that she's complicated and she doesn't speak her mind and all these sort of things in comparison to Rachel who's a bit more open um, like <laughs> this is the whole back and forth moment that I mentioned in the overview like you can't go back and forth like you talk about how easy and good it is to spend time with Rachel and then the moment you see Annabeth you're like oh Annabeth I'm like no <laughs> 
You can't do that. You can't mess with people's feelings like this, dude. I just, I know, I know that you're confused, but that's not okay all the same. And it's brought up in the next, is it the next chapter? I don't remember which chapter. I think it's the next chapter. And we'll get to it. But like, he also can't, he, he meant, makes this mention about how something could have happened um, before the whole Battle of the Labyrinth stuff. And I'm like, dude, yeah, it could have happened. But you nearly chose Calypso. And then immediately after coming back, you went after Rachel. And then <laughs> disrespected Annabeth and her feelings. You're the reason nothing ended up happening. <laughs> like, you can't be like, oh, something could have happened. I'm like, yeah, but you, you're the reason that it didn't. You can't be getting all wistful about these sort of things and thinking about it. And then kind of being like, oh, I wish. And I'm like, mate, you then also have been thinking about how like he's been going off to be with Rachel like he mentioned this is mentioned in the first chapter being with Rachel is easy he escapes like he escapes camp to go spend time with Rachel because it makes him feel a little bit better like how is that going to make Annabeth feel I know I, I rag on this a lot but I just I find it really disrespectful that he kind of gets these things and he does these comparisons between the two of them and I'm just I'm not here for it romantic stuff aside he should be more respectful of their friendship but anyway um of course actually as well he's then not particularly kind to Annabeth when this whole prophecy happens because she's helping him like his dyslexia is popping up he said dogs instead of gods so she corrects him that's all fine but there's another bit where um Oh, what was the line? Um, oh, I think it was preserved. Yeah, it's preserved. Um, a signal choice shall end his days. Olympus too. And then he's going per pursue. And she says preserve. Annabeth said gently. It means to save. And he goes, I know what it means. I grumbled. I'm like, dude, she is helping you. She's being helpful. And she's doing it in a really respectful way. You don't need to react that way. <laughs> um... And then he gets angry that he feels guilty about being with Rachel. Like he tries to act like they're just friends, but dude, she kisses she's she's kissed you, you've compared her and Annabeth, then you come back and act like you've been interested in Annabeth alone. Just just stop. Just stop. I don't appreciate this. <laughs> but just to move oh, move away from relationships. I need to stop talking about this is the whole thing that like people talk about how Persebeth is like the greatest ship. Honestly, in Percy Jackson and the Olympians, I don't think it is. I think there was a lot of problems with the build up because the build up is barely there. I don't think Percy himself is respectful enough towards Annabeth and her feelings for me to appreciate their relationship. Annabeth has her problems as well. I feel like it could have been done so, so much better. The Rachel and Calypso thing honestly really screwed it for me and I'm still a little bit bitter about that from the previous book. And we're only three chapters in and like there, there has been that comparison between Rachel and Annabeth. There's like this whole back and forth going on. And just the fact that I just feel like he doesn't appreciate Annabeth herself. Um, so, I yeah. I <laughs> The more I've been going into this series, the, the less I am appreciating Percy and Annabeth's 
build up to the relationship because I don't feel like there is enough of one. Um, as we go through the rest of this book, this may change, but at the, at the moment, <laughs> from Battle of the Labyrinth and from the start of The Last Olympian, I do not see it and I do not appreciate the current pro- trajectory. Um, but anyway, let's just move on to the story. This episode's going to be really long. I've just realised I've got a lot of notes. <laughs> um, so in this chapter, we are actually, of course, getting the introduction of the prophecy. But then at the same time, we're kind of not. So we finally received this prophecy that we've been waiting for for five books to find out about. And it doesn't well, it doesn't bode well for Percy. Basically, he, he's probably going to die. That's literally how the prophecy works out. But he decides to put it aside like he's angry and frustrated by it. And he's just like, if I die, I die. And moves on. So I end up being really disappointed. I'm like, we have waited five books to find out what this prophecy means. And then we've immediately moved on. We've heard the prophecy and we go straight on to something else. Immediately after hearing the prophecy. And then all we're getting is a few references here and there in the following chapters afterwards of the prophecy itself and only about the fact that he could possibly die. There's no like actual look into the prophecy. There's just nothing. And it's really not... We've been waiting five books. <laughs> we've been waiting five books and we've immediately moved on. It's a little bit irritating. That's all I'm saying. But... Um, <laughs> From that, I mean, he moves on to something that is also important, and it's Cronus's plan. And this is also when we find out that Typhoon, that Percy has officially released Typhoon, um, and Typhoon is out and about, um, and he's keeping the gods occupied. And Percy thinks that Cronus is going to be using that. Like the Princess Andromeda, in a way, may like the blowing up of the Princess Andromeda has made really no difference whatsoever to their plan. But then Percy keeps this idea to himself which oh why like he's talking about like how he doesn't want to say aloud that like charlie has died for nothing you don't need to say that charlie has died for nothing mention that you've seen that these titans are talking about how typhoon has got them distracted and then they'll strike like the boat isn't the only thing that they have they have big numbers you can just mention i think chronos has another plan that is going to get them to Olympus. They are going to attack Olympus. That's all you need to say, but he doesn't. He just keeps it to himself. I'm like, that's that's going to do more harm than good. You need to start preparing for Olympus, but by keeping it to himself, it's a problem. And it's all because it's like, oh, I don't want to hurt Selena's feelings because Charlie's just died, and like, I don't want it to be that he has died for nothing. I'm like, but there is there is a, there is such an easy way to word that to let people know that Cronus has another plan, without making it seem like Charlie died for nothing. Like I don't know, I just it's something that happens a lot, and I find it ironic that he does complain that he's things are kept from him, and then he's kind of doing the exact same thing. Hypocrisy, but okay. Um yeah the other thing that i want to bring up actually and this is something that so many people complain about to do with clarice's character and i have some thoughts so the next part of this section to be the story which does sort of has a setup for later on as well is clarice's wounded pride and honestly she has a point that Ares' cabin 
is barely respected at camp until they're needed for war. She's right about that. Is it a little selfish with everything that's going on? Yes. But that doesn't change the fact that no one should be expected to fight if they are not going to be treated with respect. You have to have basic respect for the people that you are working with if you want them to work with you. Like The only reason why they're acting like she, she's being difficult is because they expect her to. They, they're expecting her to get over the fact that, hey, yeah, you know that we don't like you, but die for us anyway. That's basically what's going on here. And they don't hide that fact. They are they are completely disrespectful towards her. And it does get worse. And I, I will bring that up later on. Like, why would she want to fight for people and with people who do not respect her or her family? I will bring up Ares. Is an ass. Though the fact that he is an ass makes no sense because that is completely inaccurate to mythology. But anyway, but this is the exact reason why so many demigods have fled. They feel disrespected by the gods and probably also other demigods because if they are being shoved into Hermes' cabin, for example, because the gods aren't claiming them, the camp themselves are also just shoving them into Hermes' cabin. They're not trying to do anything. They're not trying to find ways to make them more comfortable at camp. They haven't created a new cabin for the kids who have been unclaimed yet. They're just shoving them all into one place. They're being discarded by the camp themselves. Like, this is also the thing. There is very clearly a hierarchy of respect that only a few cabins fall under under the basis that the gods also have the same thing and Aphrodite and Ares are definitely not on the list of those that are respected. Aphrodite and the Ares cabin are the ones that are regularly disrespected by other camp members and by Percy himself because we've heard him say and think things towards Aphrodite and Ares cabins um, and the, the kids there. He clearly doesn't have any respect for them. So just kind of all these sort of things, it just it just makes sense as to why Clarice is finally being like, you know, we've had enough. You you want us to die for you and to help this cause, but you don't actually respect us enough to care what we're going to do to help. So we're not going to help. Is it a... Yeah, okay, it's slightly dumb. But I do get where she's coming from. Because it does make sense. Why would you want to fight for people who don't like or care about you? Like, why would you die for someone who probably wouldn't do the same for you? That's all I'm saying. But anyway, <laughs> let's just move on to the next chapter, which is chapter four, We Burn a Metal Shroud. And I do briefly want to point out, I don't get why this is called We Burn a Metal Shroud. This happens, the metal shroud element barely happens. It's the whole sort of goodbye send off for Charles. It barely features much in the chapter at all. There was no root, but anyway. This is a th recurring theme of some of the chapter names, so I'm just like, why is it named this? Because this was not a significant moment in this chapter. Why is the chapter named after this moment? Um, and this is just another case. But anyway, the overview for chapter four is as follows. Percy dreams of Rachel, and we see problems arise. Working alongside Annabeth, he has some feelings and then shoves his foot far, far down his mouth. Annabeth is fed up, and honestly, I kind of don't blame her. We say an official goodbye to Beckendorf. Percy insults Clarice once more and proves her point. It is now time for Percy to speak to an old friend. 
Okay, so we want, we want, I'm here to talk about the setup again because the prophecy dream, well, they're not, this isn't really a prophecy, this is just like a general dream about Rachel having futuristic and past visuals that she's painted of a young Luke and also a battle seemingly or like trouble at Mount Olympus, so the Empire State Building. You guys know how I feel about dreams that give you information. <sighs> this is just another one. There was. <sighs> Considering we're with Rachel in the first chapter, couldn't we have had this reference at some other point where she's actually there instead of having it happen in a dream? I'm still not a fan that information is given randomly through dreams. Convenient, plot convenient dreams. Like, have Percy see it in her art book or something when they're in the car or something like that. I don't know, just make a ref we've literally it's it's been three chapters since we were with her have that moment just why have percy dream about it it just gives us the information instead of having us earn it in a natural form um all the same just showing the image of young luke does set up what is to come as well as the visual of the empire state in trouble i do just wish we'd gotten this info in a better way to add on to this when he wakes up and he realises he needs to speak to Rachel I realise that Percy is dumber than normal <laughs> he's talking about how he can't call Rachel because they don't have cell phones but then mentions that Chiron and Dionysus use iris messages in the same paragraph he has used iris messages to call his mortal mother before why doesn't he do the same with Rachel? He could send her an iris message. I don't get why that's not a thought because it's something he can actually do. And even from the dream, he sees that she's alone more often than not by herself. Wait, no, that's alone by herself is the same thing. He sees that she's alone, but I keep saying the same thing. He can see that she's alone more often than not. So it's not like he has to be worried about someone walking in and seeing the iris message. Not that an immortal will notice anyway. But she also sees through the mist. So she definitely can have an iris message sent to her. This is, it's such a dumb element to start drama with Annabeth. That's the only reason why that there is there and why he can't speak to Rachel. is so he can bring up the fact that he had a dream about Rachel and what she was painting to start an argument with Annabeth. That's the only reason I stand by that. So let's get into the relationship drama <sighs> with Percy and Annabeth. Percy. Okay, this is the first thing in general. Not everything is about looks. And yet, he mentions Annabeth's looks quite a few times in, in these two chapters. Um, he mentioned about how, like, you know, she, uh, she's not being... Her hair is curlier than normal. She doesn't really clean up much, but she still looks brilliant. And then here he said, first thing as well, this was really weird. He was glad that she wasn't taller than him this summer and that they were the same height. And it's because she was taller than him some t summers ago, I think. That's just a bit of a random insecurity. I'm like, why is it a bad thing if she is taller than you? <laughs> That's weird. Um, he just talks about how, like, oh, she's always been cute, I think she says, but now she's becoming beautiful. And I'm like, Why? Stop talking about her looks. And then... 
in the same breath he doesn't well in the same scene where he's mentioning that she's looking beautiful now he doesn't actually have any care or interest in learning anything about Annabeth and this really kind of hurts a little bit and this is why I'm losing more faith in the pot the ship of Persebeth in this book at least he asked her about Daedalus's laptop and she's talking about how there's so much to learn that she could spend years trying to and he just brushes it off like he's bored and then insults her basically in his head by talking about how he checks out of any conversation that they have where she's talking about something she's passionate about so obviously Annabeth adores architecture she could talk about it for hours and he mentions that and says oh, what well, his spaces his eyes kind of like blur over uh glaze over no glaze over that's it um and he basically checks out that is incredibly insulting and someone who has had that happen and have had basically ended up learning to not talk about things that i'm passionate about because people just don't care to listen i've only had a few there's been one now obviously ex-romantic partner who actually cared to listen about my passions and the things that i cared about and that was considering i've had a few relationships that one moment of seeing that someone was actually interested in hearing what i was talking about and what i was passionate about meant so much so to read that percy does actually check out of a conversation when annabeth is talking about something she's passionate about it does kind of upset me because it just shows that he doesn't really respect the things that she's passionate about and that's not healthy in a relationship or a friendship my friends listen to the rubbish i talk about to do with my writing and they care percy should be able to do the same with his friend but he doesn't so i don't think their friendship is i don't think he's respectful enough to care about these things and then he talks about how oh no she's a really good you're a really good strategist i thought you could help with a stream that i had about rachel I'm like you, you've literally only a little moment ago in your mind been talking about how you just check out conversations about things that she's passionate about and obviously strategy is one of them but when it's beneficial to you you want to listen um i <sighs> it just it really irritates me because i feel like the, the relationship isn't developing well enough for me to believe in it um and admittedly yeah Annabeth doesn't help with their conflicts like she has issues with their conflicts because she is a very emotive person and honestly is used to being abandoned but she does bring up the fact that percy does run and she is right like we see this in the first chapter of this book that he spent most of his summer escaping camp to be with rachel for a break he said that so she's right in that regards he has continued to leave camp basically in a sense abandoning her but also abandoning everyone at camp to benefit him because he's got somewhere to go he's got somewhere to go someone to go to that will benefit him the rest of them don't have that luxury it seems like and yeah so she's right he is he does run um not in the full extent that she meant it but like she's not completely in the wrong in that regard like he doesn't seem to be working as hard as he was like she's seemingly there 24 7 she's going out regularly on missions and maybe occasionally goes back to her family it seems like but that seems to be rare at the same time also 
um, obviously because their relationship isn't great not that that's talked about much um but yeah I don't I it just irritates me a little bit but anyway um speaking of irritation and the consequences of these sort of things like like the fact that Annabeth is calling him out on this stuff there is a huge there are consequences that are coming up in this section which is what I want to talk about and it is to do with Clarice the consequences of the fact that throughout these five books the Ares cabin and Clarice herself have been regularly disrespected by the camp this is the consequence is that she doesn't want to fight her cabin do not want to fight like they've been dis they've been disrespected even percy in this moment disrespects her like he calls her a baby in her mind so she talks about how she knows what people think of her and call her behind her back and his immediate response in his mind is that well it's true he doesn't say it out loud but like he's just proving her point that the cabin don't care about her they don't respect her they just want her to do what she's told and be a good soldier that's a little bit messed up because she's a child but anyway like that's just proven her point and also he does try to blackmail her into doing it saying well no i saved your i saved your butt in when we were in the sea of monsters i'm like dude dude firstly you weren't meant to be there in the first place you caused quite a few problems there also but like saying hey you know i saved your butt so now do what i'm saying and die for us (laughs) go to war and die for us i know no one likes you but do it anyway because i saved i saved you once which was two three years ago now as well um but like she has done she's done so much for this camp even going into the labyrinth alone to help them like she was on a secret mission for about probably a year because we it's mentioned that she's on the secret mission in the titan's curse and then we see her again in the battle of the labyrinth so that's probably around a year that she was going off on these quests alone she's probably only a year or two older than percy so she's probably about 16 17 at that time she would have been 14 15 and yet doing all this she's never she's never received real thanks or support for all these things that she's done um so yeah i don't blame her and it just personally to me just proved him to me at least that and that clarice has a point they they aren't respected even percy doesn't respect her in his thoughts he's just like you know just get over it so be such a baby you know blah, blah, blah. And like me you threw a hissy fit when you didn't get a <laughs> when you didn't get the quest in titan's curse you need to grow up but um I don't know, it's the same as Steve. Basically, whenever he hasn't gotten a quest, other than the Battle of the Labyrinth one, because he got to go with Annabeth, he's not been happy. Um, and has, But anyway. So I'm a, I'm a huge Clarice defender. It, just re- it does irritate me that everyone says, oh, but she abandoned them for the war. And I'm like, okay, yeah, it wasn't a great thing. But she does have a point. No one respects her. People just want her to be a good soldier and her cabin to be good soldiers and shut up and fight and die for them but receive no support thanks or respect in return so with that because i'm being a huge clarice defender here what do you guys think of clarice's actions and does she have a point 
Um, and obviously that question will go up on all of our social media um, the day after this episode is out. So uh, yeah, just let me know. I'm intrigued to find out. Um, I, I assume most people aren't going to agree. But anyway, let's just see how that goes. Um, I want to thank you all for joining me today for today's chapters. Be sure to join me next Wednesday as we continue our own verse journey. To plug where you can find our podcast, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audio Boom, Stitcher, and Deezer, and probably all other podcasting platforms. In the meantime, between episodes, you can find the Best Damn Camp on various social media at Best Damn Camp Pod on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to email me with your own thoughts, you can email thebestdamncamp at hotmail.com and I will read it out at the end of the show. If you want to support me making this content, check me out out bleh, check me out on Patreon at a healthy dose of Fran. Want to know more about my upcoming writing? Drop me a follow at a dose of Fran on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter, and I will see slash speak to you guys next time. Toodles.